This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. The challenges of the overburdened and under-resourced public health sector in Sarawak are well known. But in Malaysia, we have a two-tier healthcare system consisting of the public and the private healthcare sector. So private health facilities also manage a considerable bulk of patients. Now, what challenges do middle-income patients face in terms of access to primary and specialist care, medical procedures, um, what are their challenges related to the increasing costs of healthcare? Today, I'm speaking to Dr. Kenny Yap, COO of Borneo Medical Centre, which is a private hospital in Miri in Sarawak. And uh, he will be sharing his perspective of private healthcare in northern Sarawak. We will be discussing the question of, uh, you know, how a new government uh, will have to take up the challenge and uh, the challenges and facing healthcare in Sarawak and whether decentralising healthcare in East Malaysia, um, you know, is one of the promises that uh, we could see being fulfilled this coming GE15. Dr. Kenny, thank you so much for joining me all the way in Miri. How are you? I'm very good. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Um, I'm uh, I'm currently actually a medical director and also the CEO running uh, Bodium Medical Center in Miri. We actually have four medical centers, one of the largest community center, uh, community healthcare center uh, chain hospital in Sarawak. Mm. So I hope whatever I share is just a personal point of view, nothing uh, representative. And uh, I can hopefully that we can actually open the horizon, the different perspective from uh, different socioeconomic status and also from different uh, 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 different agencies. Huh? So I think um, to set the stage first, can you describe um, the delivery of healthcare services in Shrawa and then put um, private health services into that context? Uh, to go back to the delivery of healthcare, we go back to the principle before it comes to a two-tier system. Um, we need to understand that uh, healthcare is started uh, way beyond we call it a paradigm of healthcare. Paradigm of healthcare is actually started from primary care. Primary care where uh, majority of the healthcare comes from uh, GPs. So um, and it evolved along the way where you need uh, evidence evidence based medicine. Uh, that comes in, then you build up secondary and tertiary center where more specialized healthcare comes in during the 1950s. So during the colonial time, when we are, uh, we are Malaysia is actually part of colonial, even Sarawak is part of uh, the Brooks family. So it's actually have the uh, uh, British uh, input in their uh, system management, healthcare system management. So during that time, healthcare system basically is actually government funded. And the principle is because of the military uh, assistance. So we understood that is uh, healthcare is uh, basically is nearly similar with England or UK uh, many years back uh, uh, the structure and also the modeling and uh, its mainly purpose is for services. But as we evolve, uh, human evolve, technology evolve, principle and uh, uh, specialty evolve, we have more subspecialty services. So healthcare evolve beyond just uh, uh, treatment or services basis. We go towards um, evidence-based, uh, more minimal invasive procedures. We go towards uh, 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 specific uh, therapy. And during the 2000, we go towards genetic therapy. And now the latest one, we go towards uh, minimal complication uh, therapy, such as uh, uh, gamma knife, et cetera. So which uh, a lot of things and the cost of 
obtaining all these uh, services is quite high. And there's an opportunity there in terms of commercializing the healthcare. Hence, you have uh, private healthcare where another separate wings of uh, doctors actually go to the private side and commercialize healthcare and provide it to our local and also regional uh, personnel because of the demand. Uh, and since then, during the 1950s, we actually have private healthcare act that actually comes in to actually govern these two systems. So that's actually basically what happened in Sarawak and also whole Malaysia. So uh, if you want to say what's the difference between Sarawak and Malaysia, it's basically a stage of healthcare that Sarawak is now. Um, it's much different compared to West Malaysia because of the economy. Uh, the number of people is uh, obviously only 10% of what Sarawak, whole Malaysia has. Malaysia is looking at 34 million. Sarawak is about 3.2 million like that. So if with 10% of population, fun, the funding that you have, uh, the, the economy that runs the place, and only limits uh, our services up to minimal invasive or tertiary care. So we are not towards uh, another level, which is called genetic care, uh, R&D, and uh, specific minimal complication, uh, radio or chemotherapy. Or so. So, so which a lot of uh, private center in KL, they are actually going towards that area or commercializing healthcare towards international level. So there's a big gap that we are, we are chasing towards, but... Uh, Sarawak still uh, crawling uh, one step at a time. Mm. Specific to Miri, what is the landscape like in terms of private healthcare? So Miri, Miri landscape, we need to understand first thing, the demographic of Sarawak itself. Uh, 3.2 million of Sarawak population, majority of them, uh, 60% of the population stationed at Southern Sarawak, which is at Kuching, with, uh, Kuching region up to Surian. So if you look at that population itself, you can see that um, majority of the B4, uh, M40 community will be stationed in Kuching area, means the working class, because majority of the agency are there. So when you look at that, more economy will be there, more robust, more revenue, means more specialists will be there. So it created an unequal uh, supply and demand, uh, demand condition because our supply in healthcare is mainly not just about uh, funding, uh, capital expenditure, we are looking into few things such as uh, manpower, uh, specialized manpower, specialized manpower preparation. This is what actually happening because majority of the people or the uh, agency, government agency, are all located in southern Sarawak instead of like northern Sarawak, and which northern Sarawak actually only occupied about 30 plus percent. So when you have this kind of unequal situation, development majority will be in Sarawak, in southern Sarawak, which is around Kuching area. So our northern part will have uh, a bit slower development, but we are catching up maybe uh, five years five years difference in the gap. So uh, I give an example, more obvious example, uh, even in government setting, we don't say about private setting, is our cardiology service. Uh, Sarawak actually, in Malaysia, we have heart centers. We have a specialized heart center in IGN. In Sarawak, we have a Sarawak heart center uh, called Pusajantok Sarawak. In Pusajantok Sarawak, we started initially with one to two consultants. Uh, our current uh, Deputy Premier, uh, Professor Simkuihan, is one of the uh, initiators of the Pusat uh, Jantung Sarawak uh, 15 years back. So until now, today, it become a training center to develop more trainees, uh, more cardiologists out. But surprisingly, after so long, 15 years back, uh, at this moment, you can see more than 10 cardiologists situated or located in Kuching, uh, Samaran area but none of them in government that is uh, situated in northern side. So there's going to be a debate that 
if you do not have the facility or you do not have the capital capital expenditure, how would I put my manpower there? So um, I, I think I think this is one of the consideration that uh, Ministry of Health is actually going through because sometimes it's not just about uh, the capital expenditure, the operation cost itself, the op- OPEX, operation to sustain a PCI, uh, to sustain a cardiac service uh, using uh, income tax-based uh, public fund is uh, you need to centralize it in order to reduce wastage. Uh, and also the, the the perception of the cardiologist, whether or not uh, uh, they are willing to go towards the northern side, which is uh, slightly less developed compared to the southern side. So all these factors actually contributed to the uh, uh, slightly underdeveloped uh, healthcare, especially from uh, government side. Because when you talk about healthcare, we talk about universal coverage. So we cannot be providing uh, services uh, that only certain people have. Uh, then it will become, uh, it will create a debate between commercialization and also um, equitable um, access, uh, equity, yeah. welfare, yeah. welfare agenda. But mm. um, the cardiologists, you mentioned that there are currently no cardiologists in Northern Sarawak. Do you mean that to be in the private? Uh, in public. The public, public side, right? Yeah. In the private facilities in Northern Sarawak, there are uh, cardiologists? Yeah, so so what happened is uh, uh, BMC Group, our mission is, uh, we, uh, we have three main missions. The first main majority mission is actually, uh, we are actually a community hospital. What do you mean by community? Community means that we comes to us, number one is uh, acceptable in uh, pricing. Number two is the services that is required by, by the community. So uh, during 2017 time when uh, we started this project, we wanted to build a hospital that is, uh, can, uh, we want to extend a new branch in Northern Sarawak that actually can fulfill this requirement. Uh, so we actually built up a cath lab on 2019 and we'll be searching for cardiologists for post Sarawak. We managed to get the director of cath lab to uh, join us in Northern Sarawak at this moment and be licensed with a cath, uh, with the only cath lab provider in Northern Sarawak and we outsource it to government side. And because of that, I'm very thankful to the government for a very supportive and very open-minded uh, be able to work together in the public-private uh, partnership program and outsource this service and ensure that uh, with pri- uh, private contribution in capital expenditure and sustaining the operation side, we can outsource emergency care services to local, regional, northern Sarawak, people that are having uh, emergency heart attack that require uh, emergency PCI service. Okay, so what does that mean for patients who can't afford to go to a private medical centre but need those services? How, how does it work out when you say that you outsource the cath lab services to the government? So it's actually un- under the budget of uh, public-private partnership. So if I have any patient that drop by to my centre or they drop by to the government centre with uh, emergency ischemic heart attack, so uh, then we have a door-to-needle uh, standards that I need to do the PCI within the shortest time as possible. Uh, for our side, if directly come to my side, I will actually call up the physician there and inform the case. Then uh, they understood the situation and a lot of time they will give us a referral letter and outsource using the fund and we will go for emergency PCI and help the patient first. So this is our principle. You save the patient life first and we talk about the financing later because all, all of these things, are when you come to life and death, uh, uh, the money doesn't matter when the patient dies. It's more important that we save the life rates. Uh, if the patient did go to uh, did go to government sector, means that they might not know that, that there's actually a PPP program, that certain pri- uh, private hospital is actually a close partner towards government. 
So they will still go to a, a government setting and they will reach the emergency department. The EP will straight away tell the physician that they required to go for emergency PCR and they will activate it. And I'll, they will send their ambulance over. Our, our, our cath lab will anytime, as long as you give me the referral letter, you can go ahead. Even though you don't need to give me a referral letter, we all know each other very well. So we are basically uh, we, we are basically friends in, in, in different fields. So you just need to send me a message and you can uh, give me the referral letter later, then you just go for the PCI first. Once the PCI is complete, the patient is stabilized, then we will send back to the government. It will reduce a lot of costs. Because when you go to government, at this moment, what happened in the private healthcare is we are doing a fee-for-service healthcare. When a fee-for-service healthcare, instead of value-for-service, the difference is between what are the components of healthcare. You can see a patient goes for, i give you an example, a very simple example. You go for, you see a patient goes for a appendicitis, appendicectomy. It might go to a private center A, came out to the bill to be 25,000. You can go to a private sector B, after office hour, came out to be 11,000 or maybe uh, 9,000. So the difference is between what kind of service is being provided. You can be going, doing uh, multiple blood tests, multiple imaging, or uh, multiple coding which is not necessary. Or you might be uh, going towards a center that is being controlled and with a price community, understood that uh, there's a certain limit that we shouldn't go beyond uh, in terms of moral value. So if, if, if there is a community that actually can control it, then basically it's what like uh, private, private uh, public partnership uh, uh, establishment, which is a value for service of course, where the government actually tell you, I want a TPR. And no matter how much you do, how much, uh, uh, how many days the patient stay, this is the maximum amount that we are going to give. So this is the situation. What I see for C is we are actually trying to change from P from service towards value for service. Means we have a proper outcome instead of uh, we charge every single equipment investigation that might not be necessary. Hmm. Let's go for a quick break and we'll come back to continue uh, exploring that idea as well as how this kind of approach to public-private partnership uh, would play out if you consider that, uh, let's say, in Pakatan Harapan's manifesto, they promised to expand the coverage of specialist medical services to general hospitals in other high-density areas that are probably currently underserved. Exactly what you have described, Dr. Kenny, um, how can uh, the role that's being played by one or maybe just a handful of private medical facilities be expanded to uh, become a statewide approach? We'll come back and continue this conversation with Dr. Kenny Yap, Medical Director and COO of the Borneo Medical Centre in Miri, Sarawak. We're discussing um, sort of the context uh, of private healthcare in Sarawak and how the private health sector can support the public health sector, which we know, especially in states like Sarawak and Sabah, are overburdened and under-resourced. Stay tuned. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. I'm speaking today to Dr. Kenny Yap, the Medical Director and COO of Borneo Medical Centre in Miri, Sarawak. 
We're discussing issues related to healthcare in Sarawak, but specifically um, the private health sector in terms of um, the demographics of patients that are served by private health facilities in Sarawak, particularly in northern Sarawak where um, what the Borneo Medical Center is, um, how these issues affect patients in the communities, what are the challenges faced by the private health sector there, um, you know, with uh, general elections coming around, a lot of attention is on um, what are the needs of different states, especially where uh, state governments uh, can play potentially a bigger role uh, in determining uh, the healthcare services um, in their respective uh, communities. Um, Before the break, Dr. Kenny, you gave um, these examples of how a community healthcare centre like Borneo Medical Centre provides both acceptable pricing of services as well as specific services that are needed by the community and how a public-private partnership allows you to outsource certain medical services, specialist services, to the government where the resources uh, are just not there in the public health sector. So, um, Pakatan Harapan released their manifesto. One of the things they promised was to expand the coverage of specialist medical services such as the heart unit and cancer unit to general hospitals. Um, you know, with regard to Sarawak, they cited central and northern areas of Sarawak. Now, they, they are talking about expanding coverage to general hospitals. So how do you think um, the example of what you gave uh, can be some a model to help support this um, view of expanding the coverage of the specialist medical services and are other private health facilities uh, sort of up to par in doing that? Good. I think it's about time. <laughs> the answer is about time. I think um, what the manifesto actually indicated was uh, what they are supposed to complete five years ago uh, before there's a change of government. Um, I think because the last previous uh, deputy health minister is actually a cardiologist. So so he, he actually uh, initiated that they wanted to do a heart centre in Cebu. Uh, again, I think the only issue is resources. So if they have this manifesto, the issue will be on resources uh, allocation. Because at this moment, we need to understand healthcare in uh, Malaysia uh, is a bit different than what international is going towards uh, global reform. Uh, Malaysia is actually a colonial country uh, by British uh, way back 60 plus years ago. But uh, you go hand by hand um, UK actually changed to a new system called NHS during the early 2000s. Um, Malaysia is still depending on income tax, which is public funds. So we ourselves, we know that if, as you, if you are a businessman, income tax, you won't be able to collect every single revenue or every single tax that you, you, you expected. So whatever that you receive as a fund to give out for development, it's already a portion, it's just a portion of whatever economy that Malaysia is actually having. So what I want to say is resources, because if you depend on that kind of system and we are going to give 4% of whatever revenue you collected uh, for public funding and you have this kind of mega project that you wanted to uh, put on every single state or every single location, regardless of their demographic, their demand because of uh, the, the, the amount of people that you're serving, 
just because you want to you want to put on their demographic, uh, it will actually increase the capital expenditure and also further increase the operation costs. OPEX. You won't see the operation cost increase in short term. You will only see in long term when you need to start specialize and expand the service. I will give you an example. More simplified is a cath lab is not just to do a PCI, which is an emergency stenting. It can be also used to do an electro, uh, ablation for electrophysiological study. It can be used for other services, etc. But whether or not how much services you want to put into the cath lab depends on how much funding that we're going to have. So basically, I do agree in their manifesto. It's a good initiative. But again, the question is they're going to reach a threshold, a, a, a challenge where uh, funding or the purpose of that center or start specializing that center and increasing further increasing the operation costs will be in a concern. Um, my personal perspective is if we really wanted to do this, then they, they really need to look into their funding issue. Uh, funding, there are four basic fundings. Uh, what we are fun well, what system we have the funding now is actually the public public funding system. You also have a private insurance system. You have a social insurance system. Then you also have a community sponsorship system right, based on value. So what, what happened in UK and Australia is uh, the, their system, they consolidated the fund to ensure that every single, every single of their citizen, they actually being allocated an insurance system. It means that the fund is separate entity from the fund that is actually collected from income tax. So when you separate out the entity from income tax, uh, you actually have an independent fund just for your healthcare growth. Okay. So when you have an independent fund from your healthcare growth, means that the funding that is actually going towards healthcare is not dependent only on one or few person, which, which means it doesn't depend on the prime minister or the cabinet. It depends on the ability of the fund manager to expand that fund for the welfare of the whole country people. Okay. So if you have that fund, and if you have very smart people manage to fund that fund, basically every single one of you, whether you want to go to government, whether you want to go private, there's no issue. You just need to have that card. And the evaluation will not be based on fee-for-service system. It will be based on value-for-service. What kind of value that you created? So when you have this kind of idea coming out and it will affect few stakeholders, the only way that we want to go forward is to come to a middle point, discuss how you can merge both together. Okay. Private insurance may be for certain service, which is what you call as hospital remodeling. We remodel your hospital. Because different hospitals, they, they have different investment. In healthcare terms, we actually will use your bed value, per, per, per bed value. For example, maybe in, in Tawa, one of the specialist hospitals, per, per, per bed value is 100,000. Our, our hospital per bed value is 50,000. But it depends on how you build up. If you're really cost efficient, you know how to negotiate, you can bring the cost price, you can get a very low uh, cost value. And at the same time, you can you you can you already reduce your standing cost. So when you have this kind of condition, the selling price of your product, which is your service, might not be that high. So you can you can afford whatever social insurance that you have. So social insurance in a, in the sense that you can actually uh, depends on how efficient that hospital runs. The easiest one is to reconvert all the, all, all the government to a new system, which requires somebody to be specialized, specialized enough to convert so many hospitals, or recategorize it. Certain hospitals, you can, the most simplified categorization is women and children hospital, 
General Hospital, Subspecialized Hospital, Oncology Center, Research and Development Center. So when you're able to recategorize all of them, then you can use the general type of hospital, put it out, compare to the community-based private hospital modeling, and let the community choose. Means that you instead of overburdening all your B B60, I'm not talking about B40, all the B60 people that go into the government and use up all your resources, you can divert your resource to private settings that are community-based for those B40, B60 people. Because those high setting, uh, high investment private center that is going towards uh, M20 and T20, uh, basically they are, they are either you're going to use their private insurance funding or they are going to go for commercialization for global, global health. So which is another platform of uh, uh, economy that we are gearing towards. So these, these are what you call as remodeling of hospital. Uh, but it's a lot of job. So the idea of a social health insurance is nothing new as well. But what's in it for private healthcare to support something like this? Okay, I, I give you a very simple example. It's actually related to market. If I have an iPhone uh, and this iPhone is shared by 10%, the iPhone cost is actually 3000 One person will need to pay only 300 But if I have an iPhone, the person is only uh, uh, buy, obtained by only one person because of personal use instead of a company use, then he needs to pay 3000 So if you understand that if you have a commercial insurance, okay, that's why I say, what will happen is if every single one of you, if you have a choice between a private center and a government center, the reason why people go to private center, sometimes it's just because the services, the culture, the training, because they are much faster, they have less people, not, not the crowded. The system is built in which everybody will swarm into the government setting and make the system jam up. So what, 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 what will happen if you have a social insurance or community insurance is that a community-based hospital will be able to work hand-in-hand hand because they can support that kind of value-for-money system. Then B40 group, I give you like, for example, 100% that is going to the government hospital, 40 or 50% of them will be diluted out to that community hospital. You will reduce, number one, your workload in government. Number two is uh, you will retain more staff because they won't be overworking. And most important is the, gov- uh, the private setting, the community private setting, they can dilute out the return of investment by increasing the amount of people. So, so it, will, it will be a similar principle as iPhone that is divided by 10%. So your selling cost will be much lower. So how we normally do it is, we as, uh, because Sarawak, we are basically uh, being isolated. A lot of times you need to depend on yourself. If you don't do anything for ourselves, nobody is going to help us. So in order to sustain, even to help out the government to reduce their burden, we built this kind of model hospital, which is community-based modeling hospital. So my idea is, most important is extend as much community-based model hospital to the country as possible. And when the time comes, when the politics are more mature, okay, at least you still have a hospital that can sustain value for service. Instead of you use per, per bed, 200,000 per bed, and when the time comes that you need to go for value for service community hospital, you are unable to sustain. 
And, uh, you know, you talked about how there are patients or there are people who will choose to go to private side because um, the government side is already, in your words, jammed up, right? Um, long waiting times. Uh, they won't get to see certain specialists even. So um, at the same time, the private sector in Sarawak is just nowhere near as developed as it is in Peninsula. Don't even talk about Klang Valley. Um, what are some of Fully the... Agree. Yeah, and what are some of the issues that you've seen um, people in the middle income group struggling with when it comes to access to healthcare? We hear a lot and we acknowledge the challenges faced by the low income communities, but what do we not hear as much about the so-called M40 um, lower to middle income communities? To answer your question, I think we get to the example of uh, the disease that normally faced by M40. Uh-huh. Uh, a common disease that what we face after COVID is actually cancer. So you can see a surge of cancer patients, especially after COVID. The reason is because they have difficulty to travel, they are restricted, underdiagnosed. Subsequently, the cases increase. So imagine if I have a professional engineer, but uh, he was stationed uh, Limbang or Lawasa, or he was a is an electrical engineer that he was stationed at uh, Baram area for for water water dam. And uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. Okay. So if this group of person, he do not have the mindset that insurance is important, then then he, if he didn't buy insurance because he was at Baram, that area doesn't have any private healthcare and doesn't trigger the need of in, uh, private insurance, then he will go to, when he, have, he feels sick, he will go to a government setting, the nearest government setting, which is a clinic, then he do a, a diagnosis. Maybe by the time when he comes to a diagnosis, it already took up a few months, okay? So possible after a few months, the staging will increase. Then subsequently what will happen is, it's, it's not to say that uh, our, our diagnosis system is not good. It's just to say that the demographic in Sarawak itself is not connected. So for, for, for a people that are staying in the district, even a professional, to go to a city, you might need to travel up to eight hours and above. I give you, for example, from Miri to Longsan. Uh, the road is not well developed. You need to travel at least... 10 to 8 hours in order to reach the Miri city. And if you only have slightly discomfort, abdominal pain, uh, nauseas, uh, I tell you, they will not come. They will just hold on the pain and take on traditional medication or take some pharmacy medication and just forget about it, just move on until they cannot stand, they bleed from the, 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 the feces. Uh, they noted something is wrong. Then they come to the hospital and need to do a scope. So for a standard scope, if it's not emergency, just for diagnosis, you might go up to two to three months, maybe up to six months. But if you have the ability to go to private, then maybe our site for a scope, colonoscope scope is around 700. Okay, for a middle class, it shouldn't be an issue. So if they have no issue with diagnosis, then comes with the issue of treatment. So when, when a patient with a cancer, even you are diagnosed is with the nearest uh, city uh, or nearest tertiary center or referral center, and you want to come to a treatment base, and all the treatment is only centralized in Southern Sarawak, in Kuching. If I'm living in a long house, I need to travel so far away after maybe one to two months, diagnose you have cancer. Then after the HPE come back another few months, then diagnosis staging from stage two become stage three. Then the doctor tell you to go to Kuching, go for treatment. And majority of them say, I want to go back Kampo. They're willing to choose to die. Because for them to go to a big city to receive treatment based on demographic 
purpose uh, and also economic purpose is not feasible. What about for middle income whom we assume are a little better off financially? Yeah, there, there comes to a concern on uh, the product that we are selling. This, uh, for example, if an oncology service, which currently until now we don't have in Northern Sarawak, that we are going to build in Northern Sarawak, if we do not have in uh, the city that you have, number one is the time loss is going to be there. You're unable to work. Your treatment time is increased. Okay. Your, your loss time will increase. And also, if you want to go for a treatment, your waiting list is very, very long. Uh, even though you have, you're, you're, you're able to afford. But imagine three to 4,000 per month. How can you afford a private treatment of cancer go up to 100 plus thousand? Unless you can suppress it down to community-based, like what we are providing in Kuching is 20,000, 20, which is about 30% of whatever being charged at, at this moment. And, and this is what actually being facing. Even though you're in, in, in middle class, especially when middle class, uh, the principle or their concept of uh, private insurance is still not yet there. The mentality is still not yet there. Because for them to buy an insurance, first of all, you need to have a service. If I'm staying in Miri, if I feel that my, my, my private center and it's no difference than government center, why would I want to buy a private insurance? They won't trigger them. So when you do not build that kind of hospital, people will not have awareness that is required. Because since healthcare is free, my, my, my as well go to government, it doesn't go to the, to the mind. The awareness is not there. The mentality is not there. All right. We'll again go for another quick break and continue this conversation about uh, the situation uh, with regards to private healthcare in Sarawak, uh, especially in northern Sarawak, where my guest is based, um, the challenges faced by the sector as well as the demographics of uh, the patients seeking services in private healthcare facilities. Um, I haven't yet had a chance to ask Dr. Kenny about decentralized of um, healthcare decision-making. So that's what we'll come back to discuss. I'm speaking to Dr. Kenny Yap, COO and Medical Director of the Borneo Medical Centre based in Miri, Sarawak. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. I'm speaking to Dr. Kenny Yap, COO and Medical Director from the Borneo Medical Centre in Miri, Sarawak. We're discussing issues related to Sarawak's private health sector and how that affects patients and communities living there, especially uh, with regard to northern Sarawak. We left off talking about um, challenges faced by the middle-income community uh, in Sarawak when it comes to access to healthcare services. Uh, and uh, if we kind of zoom out again and look at the big picture, Dr. Kenny had already uh, proposed uh, thoughts about major uh, and substantive reforms that are needed uh, for healthcare uh, including the idea of social health insurance to reform the financing uh, and the delivery of healthcare services. We haven't yet um, touched on decentralization, Dr. Kenny. Is that going to be important? In principle, um, how could that improve the delivery of healthcare services if we can decentralize decision making uh, and take it out solely from the hands of the federal government? So by the name itself, decentralization is basically not putting the decision-making towards a central committee on few person or group of people, but instead to be go back to the person that's running it at the grassroots level. So why is it important? It's because 
you can make certain major decision when it related to safety uh, uh, and development. But for something related to on the ground decision, uh, something related to uh, every single human basic needs, uh, such as education, uh, uh, information, and also uh, this uh, healthcare, it's better to be decentralized. The reason why you decentralize is because you have different demographic and you can make decisions much faster. Your development will be go faster. This is the principle uh, behind all of these things. And in Sarawak in particular, we have the uh, autonomy on uh, uh, healthcare itself, but it's only on public healthcare. We have actually a portfolio under the uh, Sarawak Ministry, but it's only on public healthcare, which Professor Simkuihan has been trying to create a public healthcare facility throughout the whole Sarawak to further facilitate and improve the welfare of the community of Sarawak. But are we going towards a better uh, uh, healthcare decision? No, it's not going to be. I, uh, you can see from the decision on uh, the basic emergency life-saving uh, services such as emergency PCI. It's not even in the, the, the fire plan uh, for the new development in our local uh, government hospital uh, because all the decision and the funding will be restricted. And you have too much consideration on the central part. You will be neglecting the most important thing that running on the grassroots. And as a doctor, we do not, our principle is cause no harm. That's our principle. And we try to save as much life as possible. So this is a this is the reason why decentralization is very important, especially in Sarawak, because it's so far away. If you want to call call the uh, people from Central Committee to come over, you need to fly at least two hours. And coming over, you might not want to come again because of the 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 the, the, the difficulty to travel, the difficulty to go through immigration up to one one hour of queuing up, and uh, you might not be able to uh, go back easily if you have any emergency, especially during lockdown period. So when you have all this logistic concern, it's much easier when you decentralize it, then you have a funding on the authority that is actually purely based on local decision and they can decide how much capital expenditure to go, how much operation expenditure to go. Then the development will be go much faster. This is the principle. And I, I believe that based on MA63, Sarawak is trying to fight for it. <laughs> how will it benefit the private health sector? Uh, I will say on CCAS per se. Because in Ministry of Health, even though we have two acts, uh, uh, even though we have Private Healthcare Act, a uh, uh, government side is actually uh, run by its own uh, uh, governance. So the Private Healthcare Act is actually controlled by enforcement called CCAS. The issue with CCAS is in Katharawa, actually we, we recently, uh, uh, Dr. Kuji just came over and we raised it up with our premier and bring it to the CCAS. Uh, the issue with this is actually the, the, the decision-making and also the communication on errors and trying to improve. Because when the decision-making of amendment of policies uh, on certain arrangements for certain services might change along the way. But we are not inside that community. We do not know. And we are away. So when you have this kind of situation happen, we are not in the same building. Um, and when things are changed, for example, I need five, uh, uh, six, six plates of oneness or you need to have uh, eight dialysis chair to have one clinical sink and it's just suddenly change it's not inside your floor plan you want to de deliver it's going to go when you every every submission of amendment you go to the AL it took one month review one month come back one month and come come out with a reply another one month so all of this delay you can actually shortcut to about 30% of the time if you can actually have decentralized the authority come to our uh, uh, the own local community because of demographic reason 
So we can improve much faster. Our service can develop much faster and we won't breach the law, which we do not want to breach the law because we want to work together. So that's the principle. Mm, all right. And to wrap up, Dr. Kenny, if you had the ear of the political parties and coalitions campaigning right now, whether it's BN, Pakatan, GPS, you know, what is your message to them and to whoever wins the election when it comes to healthcare? I think the most important uh, issue with our, my personal perspective now, nothing to do with my company, eh, is who is going to be the Prime Minister and what is his leadership? You need to treat a country as like a company. And every company, we have something called organization behavior. And this organization behavior, they always uh, based on the foundation of values that you want to present. And if you don't walk the talk, your company will collapse. So by the end of the day, we are looking at so many fractions. Now. And the question is, whoever fraction they are, by the end of the day, it's going to be a combination. And most important, who are the leaders that is going to be able to combine? And what is the core value? Because if you do not have the core value, for example, understanding the difficulty of the, uh, the citizen, the principle of uh, um, uh, serving the community, not just because of you want to serve your own uh, uh, agenda, is very important. So because of this reason, uh, where we have this social economic reform, when uh, uh, one of the politicians uh, was bringing this up regarding uh, healthcare reform, it's not easy to initiate policy change unless the agenda is clearly stated out. Especially healthcare agenda, because it will involve welfare. Welfare involves every single person equity. So if we do not have consider every single person, uh, uh, every single stakeholder's point of view, it, it is very difficult to push out a certain policy. And uh, uh, this is the challenges that actually uh, uh, we are facing towards. Uh, the leadership to see every point of view and come up with a solution. Uh, it's not just about pinpointing. It's not just about enticing everyone uh, and temporarily bring everybody together. It's about permanently bring everybody together with a core value that can sustain in every single people's heart or your followers' direction because they agree on your principle that you never change. And most important is you can solve the problem very fast. I think that uh, reflects the wish of many if not all Malaysians, in terms of the kind of leadership we want to see uh, running the country. Thank you so much. I've been speaking to Dr. Kenny Yap, COO and Medical Director of Borneo Medical Centre in Miri, Sarawak. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.